seated. Just take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can meet you at any time and any place. But today, Lord, we set apart this day to be, Lord, the Sabbath, to be in your presence. We thank you that you meet us in a time of praise and adoration. Lord, we ask you to continue to meet us in your word, that it would, it's living and it would be revealed to us in a new way. And Lord, uh, we anticipate coming to your table and that you're made known to us in the breaking of the bread. Father, we want to leave here changed as a result of meeting you. So be with us now, we pray. Open our hearts to hear the things you want to speak and do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been going through Matthew's gospel, and that's going to continue on through the process for this church calendar year. And it's kind of snapshots through the gospel, talking about discipleship, and, and, and we've left off on faith and the increasing of the disciples' faith, and uh, Peter walking on water, and uh, it continues on to last week where we see this uh, revelation that Peter has in the gospel message. And Peter has this revelation, and in the revelation he proclaims Jesus is the Christ. Who do men say that I am? He says, you are the Christ. And he reveals his faith. He makes his faith known and confesses that faith. It's a revelation from his heart came forth, not an influence of man or what others have said to him. It's something that he made, it was made known to him. And he professed that to Jesus. And I said last week, I don't know how many of you will remember, so I'll, I'll remind you, that there is a journey of a disciple's life. And the journey of a disciple's life is through revelation, do you remember? Transformation and participation. That there's a revelation that happens that just as Peter had that revelation, every human on the face of the earth has to have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. No one can force you into that understanding. You have to come to that understanding. And his spirit will reveal that to you. And then there's a transformation that we turn from the world and our heart and mind is renewed and transformed as a result of his spirit working in our life. And then finally, there's his participation. You're called to be part of the body of Christ. You're called into community. Christianity is not lived out in autonomy, that you can't just live out your faith all by yourself. Jesus didn't intend that way. If he did, he would have had one disciple, but he had 12. And that grew from there. And that we're called to that place. And disciples are getting hold of that message. And that teaching is continuing for Jesus. Now the disciples have this revelation of who Jesus truly is. They must further understand what his destiny is. The revelation of who he is. But now they have to understand the destiny that the Father's will for the Son is. And they have to better understand what is the call of a disciple. How do I respond? So Jesus lays out his destiny. He, he gathers them back after they've professed their faith. And he gathers them together. And he says that, uh, listen, I've got to go to Jerusalem. Here's what's coming next. I've got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to be killed. And then I'll rise on the third day. He, he lays this out to them. What Jesus was doing was saying, guys, come together. I want to tell you something. I've got some good news. And I've got some bad news. Which news do you want first? I'm always, give me the bad news guy first. I don't want the good news first. I want something to look forward to. If you come to me and you say, I have good, bad news and I have worse news, I ask you to keep going. You know, you got to leave me with some good news. You know, you got to leave me on a high note here. And 
let me know. And he brings the disciples together. And what the disciples did was they heard the bad news. They, they didn't hear the good news at the end. They kind of didn't, that didn't process for them. What they heard is he's going back to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer under the leadership, the Jewish leader. What is going on? He's going to be killed. We just professed our faith. What is going on? Well, he's giving them the Father's plan for his life. That there's a bigger picture here that they have to understand. It's a bigger picture we have to understand. See, I can guarantee you this is not how the disciples saw the whole following Jesus thing playing out. I know for me that when I professed my faith, this was not the plan I thought God had for my life. I didn't wake up one morning and go, I think I'll be a priest today. That wasn't part of it. Or I didn't wake up one morning and say, I think I should be a born-again Christian today. That wasn't on the calendar. It wasn't on the plan. But God had a plan. And that revelation was made known. And I can imagine the disciples going, what's going on here? I don't understand. And that in that moment was a long pause. There was this pause after he said that. And, 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 and the disciples kind of looking at one another. Then they begin whispering to one another, what did he just say? He's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. Again, they didn't hear the ending part of that statement. And they're focusing on that part. And they're talking among themselves as Jesus makes this declaration of what's to come. How he's going to fulfill God's plan and will. How he's going to overcome sin and death. How he's going to have victory on a cross. They didn't understand that yet. And that wasn't fully revealed to them yet. But here, this is happening, and that, that, that murmuring or whispering is happening among them. And just in that moment, I'm sure for them, it was like, oh, look, Peter's taking him aside. Peter will straighten Jesus out. Peter will get, get to the bottom of this very thing that, that, that you know, Jesus seemed to have kind of lost a little bit in this last thing that he told us. And Scripture goes on in verse 22, chapter 16, and then Peter took him aside. And he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And there's exclamation marks there. That meant he was shouting. And let me tell you, at that time, being a disciple, you would never, ever, ever confront the one who is your teacher, your rabbi, let alone pull him aside to tell him what you're really thinking. Today we do it as much as we want. We can tell the whole world what we're thinking, 24 hours, seven days a week. This is my thoughts. This is, I'll confront everything. But Jesus has this moment with Peter, and, and Peter makes this statement to Jesus, because Peter's struggling with something. Peter's struggling with what he just said, far be it from me. He, he says, no, this can't happen to you. We're just getting started, Jesus. How is this the plan? See, I believe Peter's intentions were somewhat pure. I think his intentions were pure, but we all know what the road to hell is paved with, right? Good intentions. Remember the first time I heard that, I was a younger man and pursuing ministry and trying to figure out God's plan for my life, God's will for my life, and I be, that, that all journey has been here, part of this church, uh, for 29 years that I've been uh, here at this church, and, and in that beginning journey in my early 20s, I was trying to find out, God, what's this next thing for my life? And uh, at the time, I got involved with the School of Ministry, then pursuing seminary, and I was meeting with a former associate here, who was Father Mike, and uh, just kind of finding out that plan, and we had 
put a meeting together to meet to discuss some things. And, you know, when I, I was 20-something years old, I didn't have a smartphone with reminders. I didn't carry a daytime or, or a planner. I kind of was free, you know, just landed where I landed day by day. We'll see what's next. And we made this meeting, and we had this meeting together, and I show up. And uh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't show up to the meeting. And then he shows up when he sees me a little time after. And he said, what happened? You didn't make the meeting. I said, well, I had good intentions of being there. And he looked at me and he said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I almost died right in that moment. Did that priest just tell me the road to hell is paved with good? Because I thought good intentions is a good thing. Matter of fact, I thought good intentions were so good, I didn't realize how much I was hurting other people around me. Because even to do the work of the kingdom and wanted to be able to serve others and be the person who shows up when someone asks you to do something. What I had to figure out was that when three people ask me to do something at the same time in the same place, I can't be there for all three people. But I had good intentions of doing it. That I, I respond, yeah, I could be there. And that, that, that idea of having these good intentions. What we have to realize when someone says, that person has good intentions. It's not a compliment. That's not a good thing. It's not saying, well, well, they had good intentions. Yeah, but that, there's more to it. And Peter's intentions were pure, but God had a bigger plan, and he wasn't seeing the bigger plan in confronting the Lord. See, good intentions are meaningless unless they're followed up by good actions. They're meaningless. And St. Bernard of Clairvaux gives this statement. And this is the closest statement I can get to the road to hell is paved with good intentions. St. Bernard said this, hell is full of good intentions or desires. That those good intentions are meaningless. They're meaningless unless they're followed up with good actions. That there has to be a response to this. There's an action involved in discipleship. And it has to be followed up. And here's the thing. When we think about good intentions, good intentions is all about us. Having good intentions is all about me. Having good actions is all about others. And Jesus wants them to go from having good intentions to having good actions. Because we begin to see that, that we're living for others and how we could serve and love others. He goes on in verse 23. But he who's Jesus, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. If you read that further, turned in the Greek actually says Jesus didn't turn towards him. He turned away from him. Jesus turned his back to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. That you have the things of man in mind. You don't have the things of God in mind. That, that he's not in that moment calling Peter Satan, but he's seeing how Satan is deceiving Peter. And he's seeing how the enemy wants to come in and divert God's bigger plan. And how quickly that will happen. See, Satan is subtle. And he'll often bring temptations through our closest friends, through family members, that that'll happen, that temptation. We read in the scriptures that it was Adam by Eve, Job by his wife, and now Jesus by his beloved Peter. And Satan, our enemy, he's subtle and will always bring temptation to hinder God's plan for our life. 
He'll always bring that temptation just to keep you out of God's will. That's all he wants to do. And our sole desire should be to, follow, to only find what is God's will for our life. Peter went from this moment of being the rock and blessed as the Lord called him to simply a stumbling stone. That he became a stumbling block in that moment. See, it's not about our intentions. It's all about our actions. It's all about how we respond to what Jesus said and not to be deceived by the things that the enemy would try to do to keep us from God's greater plan. In verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and what, church? Follow me. Jesus gives a a three-step program to discipleship, clearly laid out of what it looks like to be a disciple. I often thought how fun it would be that if we put together a discipleship ministry plan, a school of ministry plan based on these three steps, that, that you come and we're gonna, it's going to be three meetings. First meeting is deny. Second meeting is take up your cross. Third meeting is follow me. The only problem is I know that there will be zero signups for that discipleship course. Ooh, I can't wait to join that one. When, when does that start? But Jesus gives these three steps. He says, this is what it's going to look like. That This is what's going to take your good intentions into good actions. This is how it's going to happen for your life. And the first thing he says, if anyone desires to come after me. He says, if anyone desires. He doesn't force it. He doesn't make you do it. What he's done is gives us free will to respond to his love for us. So if anyone desires to come after me. This is what it's going to look like. This is what is going to happen. This is how it's going to unfold as a disciple. The first thing you have to do is deny yourself. And and to deny yourself simply means this, that, that I am willing to put God's kingdom first in my life. So for wherever you are right now, what will that look like for your life? We know the struggle. But what I can promise you is if you're putting the king last, you'll never have your life in order. If you put the king first, everything else follows. Everything else follows. And the reason I know that, because I had to do that. I had to learn the hard way too, by by the way. Anyone else learning the hard way? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Deny yourself that, that I'm putting God's kingdom first. Now, here's the good news. It's not about giving up the things. The Lord doesn't care about the things you have. Oh, here we go again, Father Brett. Deny myself. What do I got to do now? I got to give something up, right? He doesn't care about your things. What he cares about is your heart. What he wants hold of is your heart. The things aren't the problem unless you're putting that first, not his kingdom. What he wants to do is he wants to get hold of our heart and that we're to deny ourselves to give up our selfish ambition and put the Lord first in our life. That's what he wants by denying ourselves. Second, take up your cross. Take up your cross means to die to self. That this death has to occur. That we have to die to self and discover God's will for our life. You will never know God's will for your life if you don't deny yourself and if you don't begin to take up his cross. You won't know his will. You'll continue to search and search and search to find God's plan and will. But this is the steps and the process that Jesus laid out for his disciples so that they would greater understand his purpose. See, a first century cross, when he said take up your cross, is very different meaning compared to how we view a cross today. 
they didn't know yet that Jesus was going to go to a cross and be crucified for our sins. They didn't understand that, but they certainly knew what a cross was. They certainly understood what a cross was. The first century cross was an execution device, devised to inflict a painful, painful death with humiliation. That's what the cross was. And if you were in the city of Jerusalem and you'd go through, someone would, Jesus is not the first one to carry that cross beam. And they would see that taking place. And they would understand, and that's what they would identify with, that, that, that painful, uh, humiliating suffering, that, that struggle that went through that you have to take up. And, and, and he gives them this picture of that cross. Today we see the cross from another light. And the reason we could do it is we know the rest of the story. Today we see the cross, and it's a symbol of atonement. It's a symbol of forgiveness. It's a symbol of grace. It's a symbol of love. That we have that bigger picture of what it means to take up the cross or what that cross means, but they didn't understand that. And when you take up your cross, when we take up our cross, what happens is we discover God's perfect will for our lives. That's where it's manifested in that moment. 30 says, follow me. If anyone desires. He didn't say you had to, you must do. But he says, follow me. And to follow him is how we live out God's will for our lives. That's how you live it out. And we start down that process. And remember, the enemy will come in and we'll have good intentions to follow after the Lord. You Lord, when I just get this work done, Lord, when I just get this thing, like we're always, we're always bargaining with the Lord. You ever notice that? Lord, Lord, if I can just get through this, then I'll have time. You'll never make up that time. All you have is today. And you have to decide if I'm going to follow after him and I'm going to continue to walk out his will, his perfect plan for my life. But that's where it'll be discovered in his will. Verse 25 goes on. He says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he speaks in these opposites to his disciples. That, that if you're going to save your life, you have to lose your life. Now for me, I felt that I gave the Lord a life that was worth nothing. And he gave me eternity. I, didn't think, I, I got a great deal. I thought it was a deal of the century. I'm like, you want this life? Here you go. You're giving me what? I'll take it. I took what was behind door number one and never looked back. But for some of us, we struggle. It's kind of like the enemy's gotten in there and he's subtle. Remember, he's subtle. And we have these good intentions of doing those things. But what the enemy has done is he's gotten into our hearts to convince us that we're not willing to give it all up yet. That there's some peace that we're holding on to. That somehow the world is promising a better life. And he says, you know what? You need to lose your life to find it. That's where it'll be found in that moment. See, only a cause worth dying for is truly worth living for. It's in that moment, that change, and the way we respond to our salvation, the way we respond to that revelation is to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. That's how it works. There's a pathway to discipleship that we have to understand that God makes this perfect will known to us as we get our lives aligned with his life. And the pathway of discipleship is a narrow road. And it's challenging in the journey. It's hard at times. 
But when we understand the promise and the reward, it's the only path that we can take. That you change from a world's perspective to a kingdom's perspective. And you start to deal with understanding there's an eternal life past this season that you have right now. And when you get hold of that, you want to get on that journey. You want to live your life in that way. Finally, he goes on in verse 26. He says, for what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give in exchange for your soul? What can the world prom promise you that would fulfill that very desire, that emptiness, that place in your life? What can the world do to fulfill that place? It's an empty promise. But somehow we begin to believe in that promise. See, Jesus is teaching that a true disciple not only believes in him for salvation and forgiveness of sins, but also trusting in him to break that power of sin in our life. That's what we're trusting. And the way to break the power of sin in your life is by denying yourself, taking up the cross, and following him. That's how you break that stronghold. Discipleship always requires sacrifice. And when we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. God's glory will always triumph over our trials. Hear that. Whatever trial, whatever you're afraid of, whatever you're anxious of, whatever you're battling with right now, God's glory will triumph over those trials in your life. But you got to get on that path of discipleship. We need to turn our good intentions into holy actions. And here's my prayer for the church. Let our actions speak louder than words. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we know that um, it's difficult at times and, and challenging at times and we, we struggle and wrestle being diverted from your greater plan. But, Lord, we ask right now that you give us grace to meet you on that pathway. Grace to deny ourselves. Grace to take up a cross. Grace to follow you. Because we want your perfect will for our lives. So help us with that, we pray. Now, if you're here and uh, you're watching online and maybe the Lord's moving in your heart right now, He's calling to you to have that revelation. And you need to make that decision that I'm going to follow after him, not the things of this world, but after the things of the king. And he makes an invitation by grace through faith that he, he gives us a gift of eternal life, but we have to turn and begin to follow after him. And maybe you haven't made that decision yet. Maybe today's this moment. Right now you can make that decision for who he's to be in your life and find his perfect will and plan. And if you want to know him in that way, I just want to pray with you that the Holy Spirit will work in your life as it worked in my life. And you follow after him. So if you want to pray with me to know him that way, just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Take control of my life and make me the person that you want me to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now if you prayed that here in person, if you prayed that at home on the campus, a button will come up and say that I prayed that prayer and 
here's what we want to do. I want to help you on that pathway of discipleship. And we've got the tools and the ways that we can come alongside you and begin this excellent journey that the Lord has planned for your life. Amen? Peace of the Lord be with you. Acknowledge one another with the sign of God's peace.